Hey there, my name is Zev Bannett, and this is the Sodeblocks YouTube channel. And if you'd like to listen to this content in audio format without the video, you can check out my podcast channel, the same name, Sodeblocks, and all the same content on the channel here is also on the channel over there. In this video, what I want to talk about is the concept of tefillah. Now, I did a few different pieces about tefillah in other videos on the channel, and those are sort of talking about... Um, sort of the problem with tefillah and how we have a very hard time doing this. And tefillah is usually translated as prayer, which is that, you know, in, uh, I think, different people experience what we call prayer in different ways. And uh, I just uh, recently heard someone speak about prayer, and I was like, oh, that's actually really a very moving speech about his own experiences with prayer, even though I usually don't like the word prayer at all, because the word prayer seems to sort of, like, uh, usually imply this idea that we are asking God, Hashem, a higher power, something for things that we need. And that's usually the way it's taught, actually, at least in the Jewish sector, in the, you know, in the Torah schools and, and, and all of our communities. We talk, at least to a very great extent, um, implicitly and explicitly about how tefillah is sort of like a way to get what it is that we need and want from Hashem. And I think that's a very confusing message for a lot of us because there's also a lot of counter-messages like, well, Hashem always knows what's best for you and you have to trust in Hashem, and also Hashem like, doesn't really change his mind because he's really got a whole plan, but at the same time, Hashem is also in the Torah. It seems like he does change his mind sometimes, and so there's like a lot of conflicting and confusing ideas about tefillah, and I really had a hard time when I was growing up just sort of putting it all together for myself, and um, I think that you know there's a, a general problem, which is what the tefillah problem videos were about, which is that uh, we really struggle a lot with tefillah, and I think that um, trying to use this the Sidur to actually access tefillah is very difficult, and a lot of people feel like it's not only difficult, it's impossible, and it's irrelevant, and there's a lot of other ways that people try to create tefillah and spiritual experiences now. And the question is, like, you know, how do we how do we deal with that? Is that, like, just a lost cause, or is there something we can really do about that? And so this video is about sort of kind of cutting to the to the root of it in a certain sense, which is just to define tefillah clearly. Because, you know, in the other videos that I spoke about this a little bit, um, the definition of tefillah was never really clearly analyzed. And I want to sort of just really go into like almost like a word dive analysis of the word and sort of clear up like what do we mean when we say tefillah. And I think if we do that, it really sort of um, helps us to get our heads on a little straight about how to do it after that. Because if you don't really know what it is that you're trying to do, then you won't know if you've done it when you actually, you know, get there. And if you think that it's one thing when it's another and you're trying to go for that one thing, so you're going to have a problem when you get to there and that's really not where you were trying to get to at all. So let's just um, let's just first start with the word itself, the word tefillah, and the verb of, of the word tefillah, which is the word lehit palel. So translating that as prayer, so prayer, again, if, if prayer means asking God for stuff, well, it's a little weird because it's not really, the word tefillah doesn't sound like it means that. So the word, the word um, tefillah is from the root palal, and that's why lehit palel is the verb form of that. So the, the root is palal. And the question is like, well, what exactly does the root palal mean? So we look to the Torah whenever we want to try to define a word clearly. So you try to look at the, to look at the Torah and see where the word shows up in different forms. And then you analyze those forms and you try to see if there is a common root or theme that they're expressing. So the first place or one of the one of the initial places that this root shows up is in the end of Sefer Bereshis, uh, the book of Genesis, the first book of the Torah. And it's in Parshas Vayichi. And there you have a conversation between Yaakov and Yosef. So Yaakov is um, basically has not seen his son Yosef 
for many, many years. And uh, he basically, at this point, after having not seen him, he came to Egypt when they found out that Yosef was still alive. And there was a massive famine in Israel, so they had to go to Egypt to, to survive the famine. And while they were there, Yosef was actually the second in command of Egypt, and so he took care of his entire family there, including his father Yaakov. And so at, it gets to the end of Yaakov's life. Yaakov spent a, you know, seven, some 15, 17 years uh, in, Israel, in Egypt with Yosef, and then um, what happens next is that as Yaakov is about to die, it's the end of his life, and he calls Yosef in so he can give him a, a, a bracha and, and sort of just talk a few things out with him. And so what happens is Yosef comes with his two sons, Yaakov's grandsons. And then Yaakov says to Yosef at a certain point when he wants to give a bracha to Yaakov's son, to Yosef's sons, so Yaakov says, um, lofilalti. Like seeing your face, I had never palaled. And here, um, Elokim Hashem has sort of also shown me even your children. So I never even palaled that I would actually see your face. And not only have I seen your face again, but Elokim actually gave me the opportunity to actually see your children's faces. And so when you look at that line, you have to sort of figure out, well, what does the word palal mean there? Like, uh, you're, I, ne I never palaled that I would ever see your face again. And then, not only that, not only did I see it again, but I even saw the faces of your children. So if you had to fill in a word there, so there's really a few that you could do. You could think to yourself any kinds of options you can come up with. But it sounds like the word there means like to dream almost or like to imagine or to hope or to believe. And so it's kind of like what Yaakov is saying is, well, I never imagined or I never believed or I never thought that I would ever actually see you again. And if you look at Rashi in the, on the, the commentary on the actual uh, uh, Pasuk, in the parsha there, so Rashi says exactly that. He says, "Lomilani uh, es libi." I never, I never filled my heart to like think thoughts that I would see you again. So it seems like Rashi is defining the word palal there as to sort of fill your heart with thoughts, or filling your heart to think the thoughts in a certain sense. Like I, I never filled my heart to think the thoughts. That's what it seems to mean to say the word palal. Okay, that's, that's, that's one like, you know, uh, facet or nuance or definition that we can put into our pockets for a second on the back burner of our minds. And let's look at another place where the word shows up. So here it's in Parshas Mishpatim, in Sefer Shmos, uh, the Exodus, the second book of the Torah. And in Parshas Mishpatim, so there the Torah is discussing a bunch of different cases where different people uh, hurt each other by accident, cause damage to each other. And the Torah says, well, what do you do in a situation where that happens? So the Torah says this phrase, Vinatan biflilim, and you should give it over to flilim. That's the language that it uses. Now, the question, of course, is, well, what does it mean to give something over to flilim? And so the context and the Medrash and Rashi there also all look at this word and they say, what does the word flilim mean? It means judges. So you take it and you give it over to judges who are going to try to judge what is the proper consequence for whatever kind of damage was inflicted by one person on another. And we even have that today in modern Hebrew, that uh, a, a, something which is plilit or plila means basically like a, an offense, like a prosecutable offense um, in, in courts. And so the concept of plili means judges. And so you're looking at that and you're like, okay, so definition number two is, well, the word plilim seems to mean judges and maybe a palil or, or plila or some, some kind of singular form of that would be a judge. So now you have these two different usages of the word palal. So you, if you're palaling, so you'd think that, like, if you look at these two, so on the one hand, palali means to fill my heart in order to think thoughts. That's what palali means. Or palali means to judge, I'm going to try to judge something. And so now we have to figure out, well, is there some kind of deeper sense of, uh, you know, of what goes underneath both of those definitions that kind of unifies them into one larger framework. Also, just put number three in there, which is if you look at, 
the word lehit palel, so even though we're so used to that word, we're like, yeah, lehit palel is like the word we're trying to define, right? It means to pray or whatever. So we, don't, we, we need to figure out from these other words how to define lehit palel. But the truth is lehit palel also shows up in the Torah itself. And so that's a few times with Moshe and, uh, and other contexts as well, where you have uh, Moshe is vait paleling. He's trying to engage in lehit palel, whatever that means. Um, and, and whenever he does that, it seems like he's talking to Hashem and dealing with Hashem. And so when you look at that, so first of all, it's an interesting word, lehit palel, because you'll notice that lehit palel is conjugated in what's called a reflexive uh, structure. And by that, I mean like it's like if you say the word lehit labesh, so if you say lehalbish, if I'm malbish someone, it means I'm putting clothes on someone else. But if I'm mit labesh, so that means that I'm now putting clothes onto myself. So if I'm palaling, that would seem to be like I'm doing a particular action, like filling my heart with thoughts, filling my heart up in order to think thoughts. But if I'm mit paleling, so that seems like I'm doing something to myself. Now, Yaakov didn't say, in the first example, Yaakov didn't say um, that he was mit paleling to fill his heart with thoughts. He said he was ro fanecha lo filaltia. I was never pileling. So there it doesn't sound like it's reflexed so much. It sounds more like Yaakov is just saying that he didn't allow his heart to fill up in order to think thoughts. But here we're talking about, you know, lehit palel means something more. It sounds like whatever palaling is, you're trying to do that to yourself. I'm trying to sort of figure out how to do that to myself. And the question, of course, is, well, what exactly is it that you are doing when you are mit paleling? And is there some way to connect that to what it means to palal somebody in a court or judge sense? And also what it means to palal something in terms of filling your heart in order to think thoughts. So let's just try to put all those things together now. So in order to put this all together, I want to sort of suggest almost like a directional model of how to think about the two examples, the judging versus the imagining to think thoughts. So I want you to think of the, the imagining to think thoughts as kind of going from the ground up, and then the judging as sort of coming from the top down. Okay, so think of it as like a bottom-up approach versus a top-down approach. I'm going to explain what I mean with that, and I hope that model will help make this a little bit clearer. So the bottom-up approach first. Let's start with just palaling, and I'm going to let my, help, my, my heart fill up in order to think thoughts. It's exactly how Rashi explains it. He says, Lo milani es libi, I did not fill up my heart, lachshov uh, machshavot, to think thoughts. And so... What exactly is Yaakov saying, the way that Rashi kind of fills in that word? What does that mean? What, what's the process internally that Yaakov is going through in the situation? Well, when you want to think thoughts about something, so we tend to think thoughts in one of two ways. I'm going to focus on the more, no, more normal, natural way. Usually, the things you think about are things that derive from what it is that you are interested in or care about. So if you have, let's say, something inside of you that you're interested in, so some kind of passion, so that passion, whenever you have sort of like some spare time or where you have some open mind space because you're, I don't know, going for a walk or driving or whatever, so your passion will sort of like sort of start to fill up your heart. And it could even happen that you're realizing that you're paying attention. And then it wells up and your thoughts start to track that and actually think thoughts that are outward expressions of the underlying passion that you have inside of you. So in other words, what I'm saying there is that your, your underlying desires or wantings or interests are really what drive the natural direction of your thoughts and of the thought reverie. So when you're kind of like, you know, just at peace and your thoughts are just kind of wandering somewhat, so your thoughts will, to some degree, be an expression of what it is that you're interested in. Even if you're thinking, let's say, like, and really, anytime you're, anytime you're letting your thoughts be sort of wandering or on their own, that's what's happening. You are really sort of just letting your thoughts think about what you're genuinely interested in. Now, you might find that a little strange, because sometimes, you know, let's say you have a random thought pattern, which seems just very random. 
But even if it's very random, it's still something which you are in some form interested in. So let's say, you know, sometimes people have almost like uh, scary daydreams where they think through some kind of terrible disaster happening to them. So that's actually something which you're interested in. You have a genuine interest in that kind of thing, but not like in a, ooh, I'm, I'm very interested in that. I kind of want to see what that would be like. You don't want it to happen. It's what you could call a horrible fascination where you are just like horribly fascinated by the possibility that something horrible could happen to you. And there's you know, all kinds of tragedies that people are constantly like imagining, like, what if this, what if that, what if I got a disease, like all these different examples. And that's where your thoughts go. Your thoughts essentially follow a track of what it is that you are interested in on the inside at the root. You could think of it as like, Underneath your thoughts, you have your ratzon. And your ratzon is like, these are the things that you want. And there's all kinds of different possible ratzons. You could even think of ratzons as like uh, pairs of glasses that you're wearing. And then like, you know, sometimes one pair of glasses you're wearing, sometimes you take it off without even realizing and put it on another pair. So let's say you're very interested in football, but you're also very terrified of snakes. So like you might be thinking about football at one point, and then like suddenly there might be something which would kind of direct your thoughts towards the, like to, to and, and, your, and your glasses towards the snake phobia. And then you'll suddenly start having thoughts about that because you're suddenly without realizing put on, putting on the snake phobia glasses. And even though you might say, but I don't want to be around snakes, the truth is that you actually have this horrible fascination and you're interested interested in the subject of snakes. That's actually what phobias are. They're a very intense fascination, uh, which actually is like your, it's almost a paralyzing fascination of something. So when you think about that structure for a second, that you have this ratzon underneath that then sort of fills up and then leads to these thought pat patterns to happen. So now what that sort of leads to is like, okay, well, that's what palaling sort of means, right? It's like to palal means that you are essentially, you have like a, you have like thoughts that are emanating from this underlying ratzon. Okay, so now let's sort of look at, so that, let's think of that as the bottom up because what's happening is that from the inside, there is a welling up of the ratzon and that leads to the thoughts that we are having. Then there is the opposite option where you can come from the top down and that's where you could actually have the thoughts first and the thoughts can actually lead to some kind of ratzon um, process. So let's just use the example with the judges. What happens when you're dealing with a judge? And the judge, like, what is the job of the judge, really? So the judge is designed, his, his role is to evaluate those two people, and one did something to the other. And now the judge has to come look at it and say, okay, you inflicted on uh, this other person $100 worth of damage. So now I'm going to tell you, here is what the, here's what my ruling is. I evaluate, you have to pay this person back now $100. And so now the, the judge essentially is laying down a, a standard, a, a series of thoughts and ideas. He's saying, because you did this, you must now pay back $100. Now, the funny thing is that the judge is applying that standard to somebody other than himself. He believes that the right thing to do is that, th that when in a situation like this, the damager should pay $100 to the damagee. So, but the person on the, uh, the damager himself, so uh, I mean, obviously he, the reason why he's going to the judge is because he's trying to contest what's happening and the judge in the end ruled against him and said, you have to pay. So the damager doesn't want to pay, but the judge says, well, you came to me as a judge and this is the way that the system works and I create the thoughts and I'm now going to inflict those thoughts as a standard upon you. And it's a standard which you must now follow you have to now abide by my external standards. So now I'm putting the thoughts on top, even though your internal wanting, your ratzon, might not be in harmony with what I'm saying you have to do, you have to think these thoughts and do these actions as a result. So you now you, you have to think, I, I owe $100, I'm now going to go and pay $100, and then you have to actually go and act that out, even if your internal ratzon, your lave, your, your, your wanting is not actually filled with that passion, you're just going to have to do it on the outside, and I'm kind of, uh, shoving that onto you. So that's what, palal, like when a judge is, is 
polel or maflil or whatever, however you want to conjugate the word there. So let's think about that for a second. So that's, again, sort of very similar, like we have the idea of thoughts being sort of put there, but then there's a difference in that the underlying ratzon is not present. So now let's go a little bit further for a second. Why would we have the word lehit palel be a reflexive, uh, a reflexive verb the way that it is? Well, here's what I'm going to suggest to you. Human beings have this fascinating capacity and phenomenon within them. You want a lot of things. You, there's many things that you want. And those things are um, kind of all over the place. Each of us has like, if you make a list of all the things that you want, you know, whether it's like you can make general terms like money or uh, security or a, a, a spouse or a girlfriend, boyfriend, like, you know, um, friends, like a social status or to be funny or to be good looking or, you know, you could really make a whole long list of all the things that you want. And the funny thing is that very often those things are not really um, integrated with each other. So you could want things that actually conflict one with the other in really kind of almost ridiculous ways. So, you know, think of it as like a person who is... Um, who's addicted to cigarettes. So like, let's say you, you want cigarettes, but you also want to stay alive. You also want to smell good. You also want to be appealing to other people. You also want to be free and not have to be dependent on things outside of yourself. Very often you have these different wantings in that sense. In fact, all dependencies uh, usually have this intrinsic nature of conflict within them, which is that if you are dependent on something, whether it's a food or a person or a situation or a job, it will make you feel a lot of a lot of um, anxiety and, 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 and anger and resentment because to feel like you are dependent on the one hand, conflicting with your wanting to be free on the other hand, that's a big problem. Even though you, at the same time, you want what it is that you're doing. Like you might want that job or you might want the, the food that you're addicted to or the other substances that you're addicted to. Those are more extreme, obvious examples where there's addictions present, but there's plenty of other ones. You know, like as an example, let's say you're dating somebody who you get a lot of social mileage out of them. So let's say you're, you're dating somebody who's very good looking. And so all your friends will be like, wow, like your significant other is like so good looking. And when you take that person out, wherever you go, whether, you know, whatever your gender is, so you, um, you'll be like, yeah, like, you know, I, like I'm with this person who's like so good looking. So now everyone kind of looks at me and, and thinks that I'm, that I must be special because look, I have this person and like, and people are kind of jealous of me and I get off on that a little bit. At the same time though, like what if that person was actually really not the kind of person you want to be with? Maybe they're, they're, the fact that they're good looking as a trade-off, like maybe their whole life they really develop themselves as a character to not be particularly uh, thoughtful or empathetic or, or connective. And so maybe you're in a relationship where you have a lot of those, you know, that, that type of, of, of um, wanting being fulfilled, that you're with someone that gets you attention and, and social status. But on the other hand, you're also unhappy in terms of your internal connection with that person. So now you have these two things that you want and they're really conflicting and you have like to figure out how to integrate those two things. And like we are really uh, notorious for this ability to have multiple wantings, multiple interests, multiple passions that conflict with each other and we have a hard time integrating all of them. So with that sort of background of how you work, and again, you can sort of think of it, like I said earlier, each of those different wantings is like a pair of glasses. So when you're wearing the, the social status glasses, you're like, this is awesome that I'm with this person because look what it does for me. At the same time, when you're wearing the glasses that are like, I wanna just, I wanna have a connective, deep, you know, fulfilling, meaningful relationship on the connection side, so now you're wearing those glasses, it's like, well, I don't want to be with this person. So like, and the two different glasses that you wear will determine sort of how you think and what it is that you're focusing on. So, you know, again, the thoughts that come out will well up from the actual underlying ratzon that you are currently accessing when you are in a particular situation. So 
that's how we're structured, all these overlapping ratzons. So with that background, let's just talk a little bit about what it means to be mitpalel, exactly. So the Torah's assumption is that you have these different ratzons, because the Torah knows how you're wired, and the Torah describes how people have the ability to actually tack on uh, confused and false ratzons that are actually not even theirs. So let's just do for a second little, like a little exercise. Maybe we'll just um, you know take the example that we just had of the social status, um, significant other person with the desire and wanting for a deep, fulfilling, connective relationship. So in that type of situation, you sort of like what do you what can you do? Like sometimes it plays out that when you're with all your friends with your significant other that you're dating, so then you feel like a much more strong attachment to the wanting of the social status. You're like you're with everyone. You're like yeah, like this is so good and so fun. Then when you're when you're by yourself and there's no one else around, then you start to feel like, yeah, but I feel so lonely. You know, like I don't really feel like I have a connection with this person the way that I want. And none of my friends really, you know, even care about that. They're just so into the fact that I have this, this relationship because the person I'm with is so good looking. So like, I just don't feel good about any of that. And when you're by yourself, all those doubts and all those thoughts and all those feelings and all the, all the loneliness will come up. So when you have those two things as an example, so what you can do is you can start to sift through the different things you, that you want and think about and kind of figure out, you know what, like, what do I really want the most? Like, what's the root wanting? Because these wantings are almost like they can be stacked in different ways. So sometimes I feel like the root wanting is the social status. Sometimes I feel like the root wanting is the, is the connection. So like, what do I really want though? Like, what, what, what do I think is the most, the most important to me? And you start digging through that and trying to feel out what it is that you really want and why. And then what you'll, you know, I think most of us would probably come to the conclusion, well, okay, like I do think I want the most important is to be with somebody who I can connect to at a deep level, because that's who I'm really going to be with for the most of my life and most of my time. When I'm not with those friends and, you know, my friends might not be in my life for so long, but the person I'm going to live with and be with for my, for my real life. So I think it's, it probably makes most sense that it be someone that I really connect to in a deep way. So that's, I think, what I want at, at the base. Okay, well, that's the most important. So then, I, you know, I shouldn't be with somebody who I don't have that with. But then you go to the next level and you're like, but at the same time, I also do want someone that I feel like is, um, you know, fun and attractive and and maybe add some sense of social spice to my life that like maybe he or she is like you know uh, very sociable or good at like being around crowds with with the, with me and like something which will also help me become more social or better at being social and so that's also important to me just not in a vacuum just like because I get more friends that way or because I get off on how I'm like I am with someone who's like you know very good looking but maybe more more related to the to the larger you know pattern of who I am I want to have a connection with this person and also have this person kind of make me a better version of me when I'm with other people. So that's like where the social status, social interaction part also is true. And I do really want that. I just don't want it in isolation, like just because I just want to have like more points as a popular person because I'm with someone who's so good looking. So now what you're doing is you're sort of sifting through different things that you want and trying to figure out what you really want. So that's, that exact process is what's called lahit palel. Because what you're doing now is you're basically evaluating and judging yourself and your you can think of it as judging your heart cavity trying to get a sense of what is it that what it what it is that you really should be thinking and should what what your what your way of being really should be based on you know the underlying internal uh, passions and wantings that are sometimes buried and hidden so the reason why it's similar to the judge example is because there are times that you actually don't want what it is that you deeply want. In other words, you might not feel those glasses sometimes. So it might be like, well, I know that what I want is I want to have connection, but right now I really want this situation, even though deep and de deep down I know it's not good for me. 
So in that type of situation, that's when you got to palal yourself and you got to dig in and be like, I got to know what it is that I really care about. Even when I don't feel that right now, what do I really want? I know that I really want connection, just I don't feel that now. So I got to palal that. I got to sort of get in touch with that and at least think the thoughts of that, even if I don't have it filling my ratzon on the inside. If I'm not filling up my heart on the inside right now, I still need to to think those thoughts and and, and dream that and imagine that. And like that, that's what that's what it's about, even if I don't feel that right now. And when you start to, and the more you sort of break through that and train yourself to get access to your ratzones in that way, so you start to make it that you really, your heart starts to fill more and more consistently with what you really want according to a proper stacking of the different things. So that's essentially what we're saying here is that lahit palel means to, to judge yourself in a way that is about trying to access the internal bottom-up wanting that will then lead to the thoughts that you really should be thinking, which will then lead to the lifestyle that you really should be living. So what kind of comes out of that is, let's just think about this as an example, right? We, we're supposed to do tefillah three times a day. And then let's just use one, which is the easiest example, the one that's the hardest to do. It's called mincha. It's the one that we do in the second half of the day. That's where you have to sort of pause in the middle of the highly action-packed dense day that you are living through and you have to pause and actually engage in tefillah and what are you supposed to be doing there you're supposed to be evaluating and, and essentially what kinds of thoughts are you thinking and what those thoughts are reflecting in terms of your current stacking of the glasses of wantings that you're currently wearing in other words if you're in the middle of a day and like so right now let's say let's say you just had a really fun interaction where you were just very is very oriented towards more external social dynamics but in ways that maybe let's let's say they were unbalanced or inappropriate or unhealthy but like you're in them and it's fun so now what's happening is in that moment so you kind of lost touch with what you really care about in terms of the balance of how you want to run your relationships and you kind of you know you got pulled into whatever social situation you were in and so now when you pull back out of that and start looking at the thoughts you were thinking and then thinking no these are the wrong thoughts I want to be thinking these thoughts is what I really care about and you try to you know pause your day and pause your life to align yourself with the deeper self, the deeper wantings that you really want that are right now kind of buried underneath. So that's what it means, lahit palel. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to pause your day to analyze your thoughts and then see how much of your thoughts are reflecting which kinds of wantings, which wantings right now are, are, are dominating, and to sort of dig underneath and to get to the ones that you really care about to make sure that the stacking and orientation of the different wantings is properly balanced so you don't do things just based on a more superficial, short-term set of wantings, but you actually are trying to manifest all of your wantings in an integrated, holistic sort of way. So that really sort of helps you organize and, and be the you that you want to be all the time. It's like this pause to check your, your, your way of thinking about your life, your mission statement, your perspective on like what's important, what's less important, how are things to fit together. So when you do that, so that's, that's exactly what tefillah is. It's about trying to access that inner wanting. And the reason why it's a reflexive word, lehit palel, so what you're doing there is you are trying to align yourself with yourself, you're basically trying to get your your thoughts in alignment with the with your thoughts being kind of like the more superficial you, like the the the, the part that's like you know more that you're more aware of in general, to sort of like now um, be in alignment with what it is that you really want in all the different layers of wantings that you have. And so again, if you so if you're in a situation like that where you are having some kind of unhealthy, let's say you have a few friends at work who like they like to joke about things that you know really you think are are unhealthy. Let's say they like to make really um, explicit sexual jokes that, you know, really kind of reduce 
the the both the level of the of the intel the intelligence level of the conversation, but also they cause distortions in how you think about sexual interaction and make you relate to sexual things in a much more shallow way. That's much more about the the external, the body, and as opposed to really seeing what sexual interaction is really about and what it's for. So if you have a situation like that, so on the one hand it's fun because like all your friends are you have a few friends that are doing it, and and there's also a sense of pressure like I don't want to be different from everybody else. I don't want to like stand out or feel like I'm not I'm not socially as acceptable or as accepted. So now what's happening is you know you're 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 wanting to be socially accepted and socially to have the right amount of social status is you know more manifest as opposed to the underlying part of you which is like I don't want to think thoughts and 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 perceive um, sexual interaction in a way that's shallow and distorted because I want to have a clear, clean, healthy, deep relationship with the person that I have sexual interactions with. So now you have that other wanting that's that's quieter in the background now. So when you pause. And you sort of start to get a sense of how to align those so you can actually figure out how do I make this work better. It doesn't mean you should, like sometimes what people will do in the situation is they'll be like, well, this is inappropriate, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna back off. And they think like they're being, they're being good, they're being strong, you're doing the right thing. That's not true either. Because now what's happening is you're being tough in the sense that you're trying to you know, augment one wanting, the, the wanting to, to be deep and, and, and real with sexual ideas. But at the same time, you're now negating a different part of you, which is the part of you which has social relationships with all these other people, and those relationships also matter. And so your actual interaction with those people is not just something that you can just be like, well, they're not for me, they're not good people. You have to figure out, well, how do I interact with these people in ways that allows both of these things to thrive while constantly realizing that one is more significant than the other, but you don't need to, you don't need to like, you know, throw one out so you can keep the other. It doesn't have to be an either or. There are ways to actually um, create smarter dynamics with other people when you realize your different wantings. But in order to do that, you have to be very self-aware. You have to really do lahit paleling a lot. You got to think about what is it that I'm thinking now? And like that, you know, like when people make jokes like that with me, for example, so I'll usually laugh, but I won't, um, I, but I'll, I'll, and I'll, and then I'll usually try to like, like I'll make more jokes that are not in that way about something else. Or I'll make a comment like I was just making now about like, like, um, you know, but in, in like a joking way, but in a way that's not offensive, not kind of like um, condescending, but just be like, try to say something about how this is like, um, now, now, now we're all getting sexually dumber, you know, like saying a comment like that. And in a way that's like not, that's not mean, but like sort of taking it and, and, and bring it to a better space. And there are ways to do that because the reason is I look at the, those friends of mine and I say, well, these are friends. Like I like these people. I love these people. They're important to me and I don't want to hurt them for no reason. I don't want to just damage my relationship with them. So can I find a way to like make my inner wanting of not having a shallow sexual conversation? Can I have, a, can I find a way to make that um, uh, expressed while also maintaining the social connections that I have with these people? So that's a very different way of thinking about it than um, I feel insecure about myself, so I have to be socially accepted by these people. And so I'm going to now block out what I really want so I can have a few social points with these people now, and then later I'm going to regret that, and these two things are in conflict. That's what the Heath Paleling is about. It's about clarifying what it is that you want, knowing how to stack it properly, and then thinking the thoughts that derive from that stacking so you can actually behave in a way that is, you know, in harmony with all the different things that you want and integrating your whole character. That's tefillah, essentially, in a nutshell. And the word really is about alignment, and it also has a lot to do with what tefillin is. But the idea here basically is to integrate yourself in that way that you are holistically, all the parts kind of fit together in terms of your internal wantings. And then, of course, we have to figure out the next part of this is, well, you know, so what are we doing with the siddur? What is the point of all these things? How do we say these words? And, and you know, why is there a lot of asking for things, what's called bakashot in, in, in the siddur? And, you know, what, 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 all the, what are all those things doing? Why are we asking Hashem for things if tefillah is not about 
uh, asking God for stuff. It's about me kind of getting access to what I want in a deeper sense. And that's where we really need to go next. And in order to answer that, I'm just going to give one last kind of like a caveat point here, which is to understand that at the root, your wantings are all welling up from Hashem. And Hashem is actually the foundation of all Ratzon. Your Ratzon doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes from, from, from the other side of a wall that you can't see through, where Hashem's being is there, and Hashem's sort of like, almost like um, differentiating these wantings into yourself. And so all your wantings are actually rooted in Hashem. And when you start to know that, so you'll, that, that's already like a nice direction or hint towards, well, that could explain why we ask Hashem for things and how, how the whole Sidur is set up to allow us to do this in a very effective way using Bakashot. So that's already kind of like a hint towards that. So we'll talk about that in the next video. Uh, this will be part one. That'll be part two to understand why we ask Hashem for stuff. Hope that was relatively clear. I'm looking forward to seeing you on the channel and on the podcasts.